what can I do that could have the best possible way of maximizing global health? And under that simple agenda of maximizing global health, what can we do as a technology company to facilitate not just our own efforts, but facilitate the innovations of all these brilliant doctors and research professors and all these incredible diagnostic tools that exist and get that into an environment where they could show how valuable this new technology is so that the people with the money who make the decisions on allocating capital can say, yeah, that's a good use of capital. And so it's a, it's really a capital efficiency to improve quality of life for everybody on the planet, not just those who have a lot of resources. It's also for the what I call the billion underserved families that we can serve and do it where we can make a small profit, but look at them as customers that we serve and we want to take care of our customers long term. Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to two industry leaders that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today, we have a special episode for you a two-for-one disruptor package. Our first guest, he's the mastermind behind groundbreaking ventures like Payspan.com, the largest medical payment network in the U.S., and LocatorX, which landed contracts with the Defense Logistics Agency. A serial tech entrepreneur, he excels in commercializing and funding companies like TripBio and SpinUp Campus. His forte is crafting winning business strategies and driving startup success. Now, guest number two is a seasoned tech executive as well with a remarkable track record. He's pioneered medical technology ventures, including one that was acquired for 15 times its revenue. His innovations have revolutionized infection control, wound care, and data diagnostics, earning him accolades like Entrepreneur of the Year. So why are we talking to them today? Today, we do a deep dive into a global healthcare challenge that's impacting us all, data fragmentation and care fragmentation. It's a problem that plagues healthcare systems worldwide. Imagine this, vital patient data scattered across various systems, trapped in silos and not communicating when it's needed the most. We're going to learn about a groundbreaking solution that merges clinical data in real time, tackling one of healthcare's costliest and deadliest conditions, sepsis. Join us in welcoming two industry trailblazers who know how to make waves, Billy Meadow, founder and chairman of Persone, and Peter Von Dyke, CEO and president of Persone. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Glad to be here. (laughs) You're so humble. (laughs) I love it. 
All right. So Billy, let's start with you. Our listeners always like to hear it first from disruptors. What's their superpower? What's the driving like fundamental ingredient that allows them to forge paths in disruptive innovation? What is that for you? I would say it's nothing more. I love to read a lot on scientific journals and I love to spend time uh, learning from world-leading experts, uh, professors. And in my career, I've helped different professors commercialize their inventions, turned a, a great invention into a actual business. And with that, I've learned a tremendous amount from people far smarter than I and, and world authorities. And we're now applying that with what we're doing in healthcare. That is awesome. Okay, great. I can't wait to hear about that. And then Peter, what's your superpower? Well, growing up in the uh, hospital selling environment at a really young age, I, I was exposed to, of course, the great healthcare aspect of it, but also the trauma behind it and the, and the family situations. And and my family actually was a medical device company pioneer as well. All my family members kind of grew up in that space. So I think it, for me, it was looking at some of the pain behind the healthcare and turning it into a passion and also into an entrepreneurial perseverance where you could reverse that kind of energy and, and really start to build great things that mattered for patient care. You both have something in common in that particular aspect. You've taken something like a, a deep insight in something and turned it into a passion. So, you know, we have very educated listeners on this podcast, but even myself, I'm not really sure what this particular condition really is. I mean, I hear it moved around a lot and we're going to talk about your groundbreaking technology and how it's tackling this and then other things that it will be tackling. But with sepsis, can you guys just explain it to me in layman's terms? Like, what is it really? I'll start off with just the the impact of sepsis and then Peter will go into uh, what it really means. But uh, the, thing, the thing that I learned about sepsis that was astonishing was sepsis kills 11 million people a year around the world. That's actually more than cancer does, all the different forms of cancer. So it's got a, a challenge in that many people are impacted. 50 million people uh, do get sepsis every year. And even in the United States, 350,000 people end up passing due to sepsis. But there's a lot of long-term damage that comes from it. And Peter can share where some of that comes from and, and what it means as what is sepsis. Yeah, those are staggering numbers. And I'm very curious as to, we know what it does, but what is it and why is it so prevalent? Yeah, well, sepsis is a tough one. It's 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 hard to define. It's mysterious in its origin. But what it generally means is, is it's a cascade effect in the body where the body goes into a huge immunological response due to usually an infection that, that started somewhere. Mostly, they say, in the bladder area or it could be in the lungs with pneumonia. It could be you walk into the hospital with it. Uh, it could be you leave the hospital with it. Uh, depends if it's nosocomial or or community born. And yes, some people with comorbidities are more likely to get it and suffer from it. But it is an equal opportunity killer. Unfortunately, it attacks everyone of every age group near um, equally, and it's a tough one to figure out, and certainly a tough one to predict. But the real thing I think that drives Billy and I here is that it's preventable, largely preventable, and something that big of a killer that's preventable really should be something that we should address with all the best technologies in the world. And that's what we're doing here today. Yes, I agree with you that. I didn't know really so much it was preventable, but it makes sense. So you guys decided to tackle this and you pulled it down to the issue of data fragmentation and care fragmentation. I know hospitals, they find themselves without access to other like 
clinical data during admissions. I know that that's, you know, a big problem. And then data is scattered across various healthcare systems. How does solving that data fragmentation help with this condition of sepsis? I think the big thing is, um, you know, there's hospitals and extended care facilities all have electronic health record systems. And there's been a great growth of companies doing remote patient monitoring. Typically, these systems are not actually totally unified in the data so that when you are discharged from a hospital or moved from one other, the information is not conveyed in a temporal sequence, meaning one piece of data is sitting over in bucket A and another piece of a set of data is sitting in bucket B. What we're looking to do is link those together so that you can do what we're calling continuous analytics. So that the, you know, when you're in the hospital, they're monitoring you for your conditions to see, are you at risk for sepsis and so on. When you may leave the hospital, well, for the critical uh, few days and few weeks, you may have latent infections, you may have conditions, you should be monitored and analyzed on any changes in those conditions. That simply doesn't really occur today. Only in a few, what I'd say, closed networks. Some There's a few major hospital networks that do monitor their patients because it's a closed system. We're really building a platform that allows people to work with any remote patient monitoring platform or any electronic health record to have continuous analytics on the patient's condition. And that way, when you spiral down, you can catch it early. One of the big things that why we started on sepsis is when you start to head down the sepsis shock, the statistics are quite scary. Your risk of death goes up by 1% every 10 minutes. And so the real problem is having those kind of alerts when you're seeing changes of risk profiles, how do you alert the person and, and make sure the people that care about them are brought back in so they can do predictive treatments when you have predictive analytics? So this is really where we're looking to use existing technology platforms, linking that together so we can provide continuous analytics for patients. And I, I'll add to that, that another uh, key yeah. element that, that we're doing is we're preventing what's called um, false positive fatigue, you know, where there's too many alarms going off too early with not enough great science or intelligence behind it. And it, sometimes the nurses and doctors just, they think it's almost a crying wolf scenario and they, they want to react, but it, the alarms are going off too much. So the systems need to become smarter, taking more data to lower the, the false positives and to make sure when an alarm goes off, it's taken seriously and it's accurate. Wow. That makes total sense. You know, you said it was 1% every 10 minutes. Yeah. That's quite fast. Yeah, it's it's a known number. And, you know, we're not trying to look to uh, build out those analytic models. We're finding some of the best uh, professors and, and technology companies that have built very sophisticated analytics. We're going to uh, embrace them and enhance them by linking their analytic capabilities um, running on a, on a platform into more data. So you have continuous analytics of the patient journey as they move through the healthcare system and are discharged and so on. So our real skills and expertise is more about unifying the data, which everyone benefits from this. Everybody in the entire healthcare environment benefits. Yeah, it, you know, that sounds like a monumental task. It makes so much sense to utilize technology that is already there, but linking it together. Let me ask you this. It does seem like a monumental task <laughs> to care, to link the data together, to make it unified, right? Um, to me, I just look at all of that, right? Around the world. 
like in simplicity, how are you tackling that? How does this work? How are you able to do that? Well, at the highest level, there's a number of companies that have built different tools to allow you to link into existing healthcare systems. Uh, there's a variety of tools related to uh, remote patient monitoring companies so that the, the tools are out there. And, and so it's, a, you know, the, the world of cloud computing has a lot of resources. So when you have a very focused mission on unifying this type of data for this type of use case on this, what we have found is many of these companies that have the tools that are already established in a number of hospitals, have a number of relationships, are happy to work with us to solve a problem because it helps them with their technologies and offering. It helps us and it helps ultimately the doctor having better information, the nurse having better information, and most importantly, better outcomes for the patient. Yes. In real world, like trickle down effects, what does this do actually for the patients? Like we can talk about it on high level of preventing sepsis and so forth, but I think it affects so many things economically, quality of care, you know, people trusting the hospitals that they go in and so forth. Can we talk about that? I mean, I'll just say that real quick. I mean, I think we're all really kind of sick and tired of going to all these different doctors and filling out these sheets of our medical history and being asked these questions. We hope we get right. We remember the dates and what the procedures were and, and things like that. And even as a healthcare- We always get it wrong. I mean, I get it wrong and I've been in the business for 30 years and um, I try my best and I'm, I'm nervous about my answer sometimes. I I wonder about the consequences. I do my best. But if we could have that in a unified record for just myself or as a patient, I mean, I think that'd be a value add uh, around the world. Yeah. And how realistically, like how long would that take to get a large percentage of all of these siloed data points being able to connect so that we have some sort of unification? What's the what's the projection, Billy? I think there's a tremendous amount of momentum for a lot of there's thousands of companies working toward that path. And of course, we we are focused on a very specific high value niche within that entire problem, which is simply getting the data so we can run the analytics, which is leveraging the machine learning, the artificial intelligence, all of this in a format that provides the essential information to the doctors. So we're, we're focused in the, in the beginning on all the acute care situations, like sepsis is, would be a cu- acute situation. Clearly, there's tremendous value over multiple years on being able to do analytics on chronic. And then everybody that's wearing a um, any kind of a smartwatch or whatever, you know, wellness think- is an important criteria. So, you know, looking at we're handling, we're focused on the analytics. A byproduct of that is it's opening up the door for having unified health records in any structure and format. So there's a lot of momentum in this place, but by having a very well-defined focused solution, we'll be able to demonstrate the value of having unified continuous analytics. And I think our efforts will help many other efforts on really gaining access to health records. The interesting part is in countries around the world where they have, you know, basically single payer systems and all that, they still have the same problem. So this problem isn't going. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They have <laughs> it, but they're, they're definitely, uh, some are ahead of others. I mean, you take Israel for one example, they could be collecting their population's data from birth to death and including the, the DNA. And they're now opening up to third-party apps. So I think, Certain countries are are a little bit ahead, um, less fractured. They certainly recognize they are, and they're taking steps to unify the data as best they can. So it's something that's that's um, really happening worldwide at different levels, but everybody wants the same outcome. 
Yeah, you're right. Everybody does want the same outcome. I mean, we went from, you know, not having enough data to now there's a tsunami of data, right? right. And it's not only a tsunami, it's all siloed. Can yep. we talk a bit about the technology? I mean, you touched on it, right? You mentioned AI, machine learning, and, you know, using uh, sophisticated models, you know, and, and making them better, connecting them. Tell me more about the, the technology and how this is really innovating this particular acute aspect of sepsis control. Well, the technology of what we're building out on our continuous analytics processing system that we are building out is really a combination of leveraging a lot of very well-built open source platforms for uh, what's called event-driven systems, meaning when data suddenly appears, okay, that means I need to now process this data. It was it fell into a landing zone. You can pick it up. You can process it. Or some monitoring device generated data and pushed it into the system. All of that, when you have an event-driven engine, uh, you can manage all of these data flows uh, once you've configured those for, uh, let's say, the hospital's systems and then the remote patient monitoring. Once those are configured, they can run pretty much automatically 7 by 24 uh, taking care of the patient. So when you have an, an event-driven engine, then you can feed it into very powerful analytic engines. And, of course, we're, we've got a relationship with one of the world leaders in analytics, uh, SAS, out of Cary, North Carolina. They have uh, a tremendous uh, platform that we can feed it in where you can run different analytical models. So part of our whole uh, strategy is finding which are the best analytical models? And they have an infrastructure that they call model tournaments. So you can see, and that way the doctors can look at what's giving the best indicators. You know, uh, there's an interesting parallel. Like if you ever look at those uh, tracks on hurricanes as they're headed toward Florida where I live. Yeah. yeah. You know, they call it the, the spider graph where you can see all the different potential paths of the hurricane. Well, it's a very similar situation. Nobody has an exact answer when it comes to medicine, but when we'll find out which tends to be the best analytical models. And, and so that's where there's going to be tremendous improvements in care because you'll be able to learn as you go, but you have to have good quality data coming in on the front end. And so from a technology point of view, we're leveraging the strengths of all these different groups, but getting it into a unified format. And so there's a, thing, a theme called data harmonization. That's where you can actually have data line up and match up where uh, the names of the fields are correct. I went through this uh, 25, 30 years ago when I was linking up uh, legacy payment systems and electronic uh, payment for hospitals and insurance companies and all that. It's a, it's a very classic uh, data processing problem. but the value here is we'll be able to statistically prove lives by having some of the best models, some of the most brilliant minds get their brilliant work into a platform where they can apply it to larger, ever-increasing sets of data on patients. You know, that's brilliant. I really love this aspect of model tournaments. You're the first person that I've ever heard that from. But it seems very intelligent that you would take several different types of technology or technology models and then see which one is going to do the best. Is that is that type of iteration something that happens all the time or do you pick the one that does the best and works with it or are they constantly improving and so you're constantly having a model tournament? You're constantly having model tournaments and, you know, uh, analytic model A may be really good for senior citizens. Analytic model B may be good for the neonatal market. They're all going to have different cohorts know. of audience. So it's a it's a very complex set of variables. And, and so 
part of that is you you create the infrastructure that allows the doctors to make the decisions for their patient by giving them more choices given uh, good evidence. And, and so this is where a lot of the researchers, once you open up a new tool like this, it also allows some of the really brilliant minds, the researchers to say, okay, let me look at it a new way now that I have new data mm-hmm. to do analytics against. And, and one of the things that we're making sure we're doing is that all of this data and all of the analytic capabilities could be applied globally, not just to, you know, the first world countries, but also make it available to uh, doctors and care providers in developing countries, uh, because that's one of the really neat things about uh, our business, our relationship that actually we have with SAS. They're big on expanding out uh, analytics and, and healthcare to the entire globe. And so that's why we, we really enjoyed working with that group uh, to really bring these kind of tools to those less fortunate or have less resources. Yeah, it's extremely altruistic in itself as well. And we all know that ethnic groups have different healthcare conditions or you know, uh, situations that don't apply to others, right? I think all of this data gives us more data to be able to come up with various care models, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Peter, talk to us about, you know, how this helps at-risk populations because Billy mentioned things like senior citizens, neonatal market. You know, how is this going to really be a game changer for these at-risk populations? Well, I think tailoring it around the patient's, you know, healthcare journey and, and of course, about who they are as an individual and uh, their DNA and background. I mean, it, right now, the systems that are in place don't really take a lot of it into consideration. Um, they certainly can't track the patient and every facility they've been in, where they may have contracted a bug or a pathogen, maybe one that's drug resistant even. Um, it doesn't take into, into factor their age or comorbidities or their ethnic background or perhaps or even their disease history. And these are big elements that really shape um, predictive outcomes. Uh, If you're basing it on a profile of a patient, the profile has to be robust and has to be continually made more robust. And so that's where I think this this market's just getting going and where we can really help because we're not just going to be integrating with third-party expert AI systems. We're going to be sharing our own data from the CAPS systems with them so that they can actually empower their systems, become more powerful, and increase that profile capability so that you have a better predictive capability around that patient's specific DNA where they went in the hospital. I mean, my, my big thing with this is I'd love to see where we can stop sepsis someday, where maybe we could say, hey, this is where the initial pathogen or this is where the, the patient acquired their initial infection. It might have been in the MRI machine. It wasn't cleaned properly. It might have been in the ICU. Uh, someone might have manipulated their bladder tube or something, and or it might have been on, on the general floor. They might have been on admission. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I think just really tracking the patient's journey throughout their physical journey inside doctor's offices, clinics, general floors, imaging machines, all that is going to really uncover the source of these issues someday. And wow. uh, I think persona is well poised to be a, a company that can help identify things like that in the future with geospatial data and other things where we track the patient's journey and, and make brand new predictions that are really earth-shakingly positive. That's amazing. It reminds me of the agriculture tech you know, industry where they can now in certain aspects, you know, find out where, you know, certain viruses or bacteria have, you know, come in certain acres of crops or whatever. To be able to do this for healthcare is like an absolute game changer. What about preventative measures? You mentioned something like, okay, the MRI machine wasn't cleaned properly. I mean, look, there's human error. Things can happen, right? Yes. Preventative measures, preventative um, products, preventative services, like what could come out 
of a technology like this? Well, I'll just start off by saying that's where I come from. I've, I've done a lot of infection control products and technologies, catheters, you name it, whatever, protocols. Um, and, you know, whether it's a coated catheter or an uncoated catheter or with, with antibiotic coatings or not, that's really still evolving around the world. I mean, there's lots of, for instance, urinary catheters um, that are uncoated. Um, no one knows if they are infected during insertion of that catheter, removal, or just maybe because it was manipulated and colonized during its use um, or left in too long. So I think studying all the specifics around hospital cleanliness, healthcare cleanliness, nursing home cleanliness, uh, sterilization, uh, even airway contamination and room and room airway treatments. Um, I think that's really going to coalesce now into what we're building around sepsis to kind of give us a better view on all the things that can be done and already being done to battle infection uh, control issues and, and prevent them. So there's a lot happening here already. I think we're just going to be the AI boost that it needs to become more precise where, where it's applied. Yeah. I mean, imagine, I mean, with all of that data and finding out that, um, you know, age old procedures are no longer workable, that we find something that's even better. Those mm -hmm. are always great things to find out from technology, right? Absolutely. Can we talk about the economic value of this, right? I mean, healthcare is, is it a fourth or a third of the country's GDP? I mean, it's, it's, it's huge and nothing really gets attention in America, at least, unless it really affects the bottom line, right? And the implications of this technology for, you know, hospitals, hospital readmissions, you know, things like that. Speak to that as far as like the costliness and what this will be able to do. Yeah, well, I, I think one of the key things about, for example, on sepsis is, uh, you know, from a cost point of view, it's hard to measure something that didn't occur. So mm -hmm. if you prevent a case of sepsis, uh, what we have done is looked at that as a, a generic model looking forward, that if you can prevent it, you obviously uh, save a life, but more importantly, you're saving the survivors. So even though 11 million people a year die of sepsis, there's 38 million survivors. So they may have organ damage, they may even have amputation or whatever. So you have to look at the sort of what's called the net present value of all that care for the next 10 or 15 years on that patient. And so if you look at that um, statistically, uh, by preventing a case of sepsis based on what we know in ballpark numbers, it's worth around $55,000 per patient if you can prevent it, somewhere in that range on the cost of care. So per patient? Per patient, yes. Wow. So if you can simply prevent it, and, and so 1.7 million people in the United States uh, get sepsis, around 350,000 people pass. But that means there's a lot of cases that could be prevented. Now, you can't prevent them all today, but what we've done is we've identified some really good sepsis analytic models that we want to place into the system that statistically we should be able to lower uh, hundreds of thousands of cases uh, across the United States and tens of thousands of deaths. So the end result is the real beneficiary, obviously, is the patient's. And then secondly, the insurance companies and then the hospitals, what they eliminate is the risk of non-reimbursable readmission, meaning when they leave the hospital and they come back in within 30 days, the hospital has to pay. I mean, that's the way it works because they, they weren't can't taking, a, you know, taking care of them at that time. So, the, the, you know, it's a liability uh, minimization. Uh, lower cost and, and improved outcomes. So, you know, prevention is everything. And that's where there's a compelling. I think that's just our very first one that we're doing. We think there's going to be tremendous value on a wide variety of care conditions when you start unifying the information for uh, not just sepsis, but many other acute conditions, 
chronic conditions and even wellness where you're working on valid statistical information that can be referenced by the large economic decision makers at the big insurance companies to decide, hey, we'd like to approve these treatment protocols because now we have some facts to make some decisions on in real time, not looking mm-hmm. back at a couple of years. Yeah, so yeah, that's a key thing. Yes. Go ahead, Peter. No, I, I was just going to add, and they can monitor the progress of the, of the project as it's being deployed in, in near real time. Yeah, you guys both have mentioned real time in near real time. And, you know, people think they understand what that means. Right. But in this case, you know, explain what that means with this particular technology. Um, I would say real time is watching a heartbeat monitor in real time. Near real time is gathering the data anywhere from, uh, you know, 30 seconds to a minute to 10 minutes to maybe an hour to have a decision, that sort of thing. So it's, you know, it's near real time just means not instant, but within, let's say, uh, an hour or two to have data presented to the appropriate decision maker. Right. And that's key because right now, a lot of hospitals look at their data that could be a year or two years old just based on claims data. So they're not really getting in near real time clinical data by far. So this, you could imagine how valuable this will be for them going forward. I had no idea about that length of time, a year or two years old. I mean, I am familiar with remote patient monitoring and sometimes physicians or so forth don't get those reports for a few weeks later. And you know, even in that case, as far as saving lives, that can be too late, especially when you have this accelerated condition of sepsis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The worst kind is you didn't know it was an accelerated condition. Right. Oh, really? So people can have it and not know they have it, obviously. Oh, yeah. You, you start feeling bad, for example. You're a little dizzy. You're not feeling good. Yeah, but you end up going to sleep. Well, in those 12 hours, you know, a long restful sleep, you wake up and now you've got a 101. Okay, I'm not feeling good. You wait another 12 or 24 hours and decide to go back into the ER. So you don't realize that you're spiraling down. Um, your, your body's giving you some indications, but if they did a simple test uh, to see what your cytokines is, a 20 minute, 30 minute test that can run in an ER, you'd find out, uh-oh, we've got a real problem here. So a lot of people, uh, that that's where one of the big things on uh, social determinants of health, one of the big things from uh, governments that look at, they're trying to take care of people. But a lot of people don't have cars to come in. They don't have the resources to say, oh, I need to get into the emergency room. So this is where, you know, having good information that we're with monitoring, the equipment is very low cost. If you can provide that into an analytic model, that will cause an alert to the nurse to say, I need to call that patient. Oh, you're feeling a little dizzy. Okay, why don't you come back in? So those type of that type of having the information in front of the care professionals, they want to be able to do this. It's and that and so building a, an environment. What we're doing on our what um, we call CAPS, Continuous Analytics Processing System. It's a very generic name because it's just doing a very generic function. And so we're just trying to unify some of these brilliant minds that have these great analytical models to provide that data to. The, the doctors and the nurses really care about their patients and give them the data they need when they need it. Yeah, I you know, I'm glad you said that. I was going to ask you what CAPS meant. So continuous analytics processing systems. Yep. That's makes a, total sense. Okay, nice what is, yes. And what does persona mean? Persona is a, a combination of two words, and it's uh, personally own your health data. So it's wow, it's a real it's the theme is to help people know that, 
you should own your data. We all have the tools. Everybody's got a smartphone and even, you know, there's 6.6 billion smartphones out there. So practically everybody on the planet has a tool in their hand to have access to their health records that they should own and control and convey. And so, uh, you know, over the next few years, we'll be building out the ways to enable people to have access and control over their health health data. And that's where the the brand name came from. Got it. Well, you know, that just opens up a, a whole nother topic to talk mm-hmm. about, <laughs> right? Is there anything else that I haven't covered or asked you about that is very significant that our listeners need to know or should know? I, I think one thing that we see, and I'll give you another example of unification of data where it's just massive expenditures that could really improve that we're hearing already is, you know, there's there's some huge companies that build all the imaging systems, the MRIs, the CAT scans, ultrasounds, all of that imaging data. You think about all that visual information that's in thousands of hospitals around the world, big, huge data sets. There's hundreds of companies that do analytics on this data, but yet it's not the an- analysis of that imagery is not linked into typically the uh, treatment path with the radiation, with the, the the drugs that they're taking for that particular like oncology medications and so forth. Right. It's also not linked into from a wellness point of view, what food are they eating and what exercise? So if you have which is highly, highly important. Highly exactly. And and I think, you know, people will make decisions when they're given good quality information and the doctors will give advice. But right now that doesn't exist. So there's massive opportunities to leverage existing known protocols, existing libraries of data and start applying that to people's uh, lifestyle, food, environment, you know, pharmaceuticals, radiation, and ha- actually look at people holistically. That's the way they should be looked at and do it with good, valid statistical. And this is where, again, we uh, SAS being a leader, they, they set up these model tournaments so you can link different analytical models together. And so we're that's what CAPS is about, is linking that so that you're continuously monitored. And anybody who's any kind of a a patient with a chronic condition, it would be nice if you had unified analytics watching over that the doctors would have better information and determine that. So I think there's going to be a a real improvement. And, you know, anybody that we've partnered with or whatever, they all agree this is going to be the better way to do things. So that's what we're trying to do here. I'll, I'll I'll add to your question there and follow up on Billy that, I think what else is important for their listeners to know is that this is with the backdrop of an amazingly growing shortage of nurses and general practitioners around the world. In almost every part of the world, this is true. It's getting worse and worse. And so, um, you know, what are we going to do about it, right? So, and how do we stay safe and have better healthcare with that backdrop? So uh, we're also seeing, you know, migration uh, into a hospital at, at the home type approach, um, things like that. So so uh, we're seeing CVSs turn into healthcare centers now and uh, Amazon's making uh, acquisitions. And so it, there's going to be an, an abrupt change coming. It has to, because the system is, the traditional system is overwhelmed and it's not going to be sustainable, especially with figures like that with the nurses and the nursing shortage. So, because they're, they're, the nurses are really the backbone of the healthcare industry, um, they're the ones that are putting the data. So, I think this move towards automation and data integration is one of the few things we can do to help stop this from turning into a really bad situation and turning into a much better situation by having the data be shared and owned by yourself to where you can, and and be preventative more and more. So you don't have to end up being a victim inside of a hospital. You're more likely to be safe and have earlier intervention and be able to stay at home or be treated at home uh, safely. 
that's cool because people actually do convalesce much easier when they're or better when they're at home, don't they? Yeah. I mean, statistics have shown for sure. And I'm glad you brought up the nursing shortage. I would also imagine that you know, having this technology to help prevent or, you know, help catch this in early stages and help, you know, help more people would be a great morale booster for nurses and physicians, right? I mean, their whole job and their their oath is to save lives and do no harm, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you guys have picked sepsis and you mentioned the statistics worldwide and the U.S. What are What are some other countries that are high risk for this? I would say virtually all of the developing countries are at high risk because they, they have, frankly, less sanitary environments. And so the prevalence is fairly high around the world. The, the interesting thing is there's a lot of very good uh, diagnostic tools for identifying different species of bacteria and viruses and all that that are lower cost can be done at point of care. So linking that data in of a telling sort of lesser trained staff around the world hey, we have enough data, run this test, do this. And so this mm. is AI agents and, and analytics can help people have less training to do the best possible thing. So this is where you can have uh, guided therapies, guided protocols. And a lot of this is, is really uh, growing. And you know, with that, all the attention on AI, it's nothing more than having the appropriate information delivered to the appropriate person to take that action. Once they take that action, we have the results. You can do this. So I think all of this technology is going to have a profound effect on the global health. And, and so that's where we're making sure everything we're doing, all of this technology will be, we're going to make sure it's affordable for, you know, Madagascar, um, you know, we're a country of 28 million people. They don't have pediatricians. You know, it's a very poor country. And so, you know, part of this is where you can make the technology available to have that kind of guidance. That is amazing. It made me think of, you know, traveling around the world, right? I mean, sometimes you go to countries and you know that they don't have the best hospital systems. It'd be great to know that there is, you know, a standard of care in other areas. I remember hiking, you know, several mountains in Peru. And I thought, you know, if something happened and I fell and I had to go to the hospital, this would not be a good scene. Right? It's an adventure. It is an adventure. Yes. Okay. So where do you guys, you've, you've kind of, we've mentioned, we talked about it a bit, but where do you really see Person going and how do you see the future of healthcare with Person? What's your vision? Well, I think the, the the real goal is to try and get our technology and our software in as many hands as possible. So, you know, our whole strategy is to partner with distribution uh, channels, try and make sure we can get some of the best analytical models uh, together so that uh, all of our partners win in this entire process to get maximum distribution. So one of the key things we do when we're talking with different people that build analytic models is make sure they're also pricing their models so that it can be affordable in Madagascar, as an example. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's all software, and and um, you know, cloud services, and now with uh, you know global satellite coverage and everything, you've got extreme bandwidth available at very low cost uh, across the planet, and so you can enable uh, remote clinics where you have certain limitations. You can bring state of the art cloud based computing to medical professionals at any level of learning and having access to the benefit of the world's knowledge. So that's where we're really looking to do is make sure we're, we can make a, a good profit in the developed countries, 
but also make it uh, affordable, yet with a very small profit in the developing countries, because it's all software that we're producing here and integrating and, and working with these uh, different partners. And hopefully we'll, we'll help uh, promote a lot more preventative actions and really help the doctors around the world come up with the best care treatment protocols and, and help them to publish more data because they have more data to publish from. Yeah, that's an amazing journey. Did you want to add to that, Peter? Well, I think I mean we. I think with healthcare, it's it's going to be uh, undergoing a massive shift. I think it's moving more towards the home and outside the hospital. I think inherently people like that. I think they they have a, a inherent fear with the hospital. They don't maybe know why. A lot of it is because of uh, secondary infections and things that are preventable just by being in that environment. I think it's an intense environment for the, the people that are employed there as well. So I think if more things can be managed at the home or in secondary sites or in urgent care type things, um, and of course prevention is the real key here. Um, it's going to benefit everybody. It's going to lower cost and, and, and increase care. And with a lot of people retiring now and taking care of and having multi-generational households, I think the more empowerment we can give the, those families that have to care for elderly in their home to make it easier and safer for them to do it without having them go back and forth to doctor's offices, it's going to help the family. It's going to help end-of-life scenarios, hospice, everything. So I think it's, just, yeah. it's, it's moving in the right direction. Yeah, it's a real game changer. Okay, so last question about this, and then I want to ask some personal questions. But why are you guys doing like what drives you why are you doing this why do you do this well I'll, I'll start i've been building systems my whole life and i've always tried to do something that had a little more meaning uh, than just build a, a business of technology there was something beneficial to society and so this one i looked at you know what can i do that could have the best possible way of maximizing global health and under that simple uh, agenda of maximizing global health what can we do as a technology company to facilitate not just our own efforts, but facilitate the innovations of all these brilliant doctors and research professors and all these incredible diagnostic tools that exist and get that into an environment where they could show how valuable this new technology is so that the people with the money who make the decisions on allocating capital can say, yeah, that's a good use of capital. And so it's a, it's really a capital efficiency to improve quality of life for everybody on the planet, not just those who have uh, a lot of uh, resources. It's also for the what I call the billion underserved families that we can serve and do it where we can make a small profit, but look at them as customers that we serve and we want to uh, take care of our customers long term. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Peter, what drives you? Well, at a young age, I was impacted by by my little older sister who was, um, I was 19 and she was in a terrible head accident and uh, ended up being in a coma for a decade and then finally succumbed to a sepsis type, type reaction, which was preventable, but we didn't know what was happening. And so even though I was developing my own medical devices at that young age, um, when they were applied to my own sister to save her life, it really changed my life. And that's when I started turning pain into passion in this regard, because it became much more serious for me when I saw my own family members having my own medical device inventions used on them to sustain life. And so um, for me, the drive is to just continue to contribute where I can in the landscape of healthcare and make big impactful contributions, whether it be products or, or database systems to um, kind of stop the suffering that's needless and help, help families and, and, and patients. That's beautiful. You know, I've never found a disruptor that wasn't trying to do something for the greater good. Yeah, a true disruptor. <laughs> and, I think, and I think to put a cool thing on it, I think, you know, we may not be NFL quarterbacks, but I think it's pretty much the coolest job in the world to be a healthcare entrepreneur. 
Yeah, you know what? That's actually really cool. That's a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay, personal questions. What do you do outside of Persona? Billy, what, do you have any crazy passions? Like, what do you do in Florida? I have only one passion is uh, on recreation is play golf. Jacksonville, Florida is a great golf town. So I play golf, been playing since I was 12 years old. Are you any good? I used to be good. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. What about you, Peter? What are your crazy passions? What do you do outside of Persona? Well, I mean, it's, it sounds childish, but I, I moved my companies to Florida to learn how to surf. Um, that was my second reason for doing it. And uh, I wanted my children to be born there as well. But I, I learned to surf at a very older age and uh, it was great for me and beat up my body. But it really taught me that you can really have a lot of fun, things like that. So I just I try to do oddball sports and, and adventures and things like that. I love trying new things, scuba diving, you name it. That's awesome. Well, you both are in the the state for that. Plenty of water and plenty of recreation and sunshine most all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so tell people how to get a hold of you. Well, I'm Billy Meadow at Person.com. And it's B-I-L-L-Y-M-E-A-D-O-W at Person.com. And how about LinkedIn? Can they reach out to you on LinkedIn? I'm the only Billy Meadow out there. (laughs) <laughs> okay, great. And I'm, and I'm probably the only Peter Von Dyke. So my email is peter.vondyke at person.com. Excellent, gentlemen. Okay, to leave our listeners food for thought, inspiration, something to take home, like what would you say to our listeners before we end off? Billy, you start. I, I would say I, I'm looking at a wide variety of uh, technologies that are diagnostic type technologies that are coming. And I think in a matter of the next couple of years, there's going to be a tremendous amount of improved analysis where people's care conditions uh, can be analyzed and provided. And so I think people are going to feel a lot healthier about their future in just a matter of a few years because the tools are out there that are going to be commercialized that will enable us to all feel better about ourselves and catch uh, different disease conditions a lot, lot earlier and and live uh, longer, healthier lives. Thank goodness. Thank you. Peter? I would say don't be afraid to jump into healthcare technology. I mean, I know it's kind of a pedigreed market where you need a PhD or an MD and a lot of college, but you're talking about myself with a two-year college dropout uh, academic career here. Um, you know, you can jump in, you can contribute uh, as long as you really like technology, you care for people, you work with great people. You can make a huge contribution to this marketplace and, and not be uh, very pedigreed like me. That's a great point. Thanks, you guys. I'm really honored to help and be able to tell your story at least a little bit and scratch on the surface of what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for your time, KJ. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from the show. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never except the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.